for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Yes, hello, it is time for Pet Chat. We've got Cheryl Shaw in, Dr Paul McCarthy, welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Cheryl, I'm looking at your brooch. You've got little scissors in there. I have. You've got a little uh, brush. We must be talking about grooming. We are not talking about grooming. You've got it wrong this time, sir. We're I talking tried. about foreign objects oh, and the dangers of your clever. pets. Mm-hmm. Very good. And, Paul, what are we chatting about today? So... We can see, I mean, I'm happy to discuss that foreign objects as well because we've had a run of them the last couple of weeks and personal experience from the shores on this one. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing this one. <laughs> Good afternoon. We're talking pet chat and we've got Glenn from East Maitland on the line. Glenn, you've got a 17-year-old dog, but it seems to be sulking after mealtimes. Yes, yes. He has um, my dog, um, 100 grams of that and 100 grams of mince that we boil up for him. Um, after he's had that, he just seems to salt for about an hour. And um, after that, he quietens down. And then, or well, probably an hour later, it, he's asleep. And it's so as though someone jabs him with a cattle prod, he jumps up off the lounge. Um, just wondering whether there might be some suggestion that we're doing something wrong, but we've always sort of done that for him. And he's just getting old. Yeah, sure. So I guess the one thing I maybe think of first, Glenn, is that that's a lot of protein for a 17-year-old dog um, yeah. and not a lot of fibre um, or carbohydrate. And it, it could be that the work of actually breaking down that fairly heavy meal is tiring the system or even with the amount of protein in that m- maybe actually... Um, upsetting the stomach lining. So one of the things I would think you might might want to try and do is maybe reduce the, or, or even take the mince out, um, or the my dog out. Switch switch one of your protein sources because I think at the moment the my dog will be quite heavy in protein, and you're feeding just a protein with that mince. Um, ideally, for older dogs, you want the protein in the meal to be no more than about a quarter of the dietary intake. Um, and the other 75% can be made up of carbohydrates and fibre. For an older dog, colonic health is very important. So um, some vegetables into that mix with the mince um, would probably be a nice way or adding some vegetables to the my dog. So that what's happening is that there's a lot of fibre in the bowel which is making the dog feel quite full and healthy but is helping to produce a nice normal stool. Is there any gurgling of a stomach in that time period after digestion? Yes, yes, there is a little bit of that, yes. Yeah, and a I bit thought of there wind. might be. So that, that gurgling is actually the, the fat that's being broken down is, is creating gas, and that's uncomfortable. And so okay. if you're hearing gurgling, the, the dog is actually feeling uncomfortable, like a, a colicky pain that we would de- describe in children or babies. And that, that colicky pain from the gas can make them feel very uncomfortable. There should be no gurgling sounds after eating in a dog. So if you're hearing them, it means that the work of fermentation of that gas is pretty high, um, and that could be with where this sulkiness is coming from, is he may be feeling quite digestively upset. Okay, then. And would that be the same with this? He just seems to be asleep for a while and then all of a sudden as though you've prodded him with a cattle prod or something and he just jumps up off the lounge and onto the floor 
Yeah, I think I think well, oh, that could be several things, but but one of the things it could be is that he's feeling uncomfortable, um, and so often moving and stretching the body out and doing some activity can take away gastrointestinal pain, and so often if they've been sleeping for a while and that pain is really starting to build up, they may need to try and remove some of that by doing some physical movement. Okay, then all right. Thank you very much for your time. No problems at all. I hope that helps, Glim. Okay, thanks again. Thanks, Glenn. We're talking pet chat four nine two one six two one six. We've got Darren from Mayfield. Darren, a problem after removing a tick from your dog. Tell Doctor Paul about this. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Uh, it just come out into a uh, like a big red lumpy bag hanging out. You know what I mean? I thought it was just a nipple. It's infected or something, but it's next to the nipple and it's just like a little red lump hanging down. So there there was a tick you removed, Darren? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when ticks feed, they form a crater around the area that they've um, punctured the skin from. And in that crater, they deposit some anticoagulants and some different um, chemicals to help the blood keep flowing and and to sort of almost anaesthetise their um, location from the dog. So the dog doesn't know that they're there. Um, Those craters, when the tick has been removed, can form abscesses or become infected. So I would think in this circumstance it would be good to have your vet have a check that that is only what that is, um, in that you can get um, some some of these will even form cystic structures where the fluid will, uh, like a seroma, where the trauma of having the tick removed kind of damage the vessels around that location and cause fluid to build up in that area, which is what we call a seroma. Um, so in, in both for both reasons, I would suggest you might want to get your vet to have a look at this. Just there are medications that can be used for both of those, and I guess just to be a hundred percent sure that it is the tick crater that you're seeing, and it isn't something else that's come up coincidentally at the same time. Right. Someone told me it mightn't have got the head, and that's why it's come up like that. Yeah, it's a really common suggestion. Um, the, the head will generally be once you, you take the body off that, the head's going to die. Um, okay. And generally, the death of that causes it to come away anyway. Uh, there, there seems to be a bit of a maybe a, an urban myth about the fact that the head stays there. They they form these big pustules and cancers and all sorts of things associated with that. Um, they don't keep feeding. They don't keep injecting toxin. The, it's okay. literally just the head of a dead insect. Um, and okay. generally, the body will remove those. Similar to a bee sting, um, if a stinger stays in the skin, eventually the body will remove that as well. But I, I think that the big risk for me would be that this may be infected um, and infection is often, as you'll be aware of, need to be treated with some antibiotics to try and reduce that swelling. Um, if they can see the foreign object such as the head still there, they can remove that. But I, I would think it less likely to be the cause. I would think infection may have got into the site. Now, Cheryl, you've worn the brooch today, which is all sorts of objects, scissors, mm-hmm. brushes, and we're talking about things that our pets may ingest that they shouldn't and there's so many things Sarah in the house when you really think about it but how this topic came up my son's cat Stephen who is a problem child (laughs) Stephen Avery is his name well what happened with Stephen he was really really sick so he went to see Dr Paul and Paul what was the story Oh. Okay, so we had some vomiting, and so we thought, right, we'd look at the gastrointestinal tract, and we did an ultrasound, and looking through the ultrasound, we could see an unusual thing in the middle of the jejunum. 
And so I thought, right, well, this hopefully could be one of two things. The good news would be that something has stuck there. Like a foreign object. Correct, yeah. So when you do an ultrasound, what you're seeing there is sound bouncing off an object. So you can't tell exactly what it is. You can just tell there's something that shouldn't be there is there. Was it a long object? It's about three centimetres long. Was it a bobby pin, was it? Oh, no. Oh, so the interesting thing with bobby pins is that they, they're terrific as a foreign body because you ultrasound those and because generally they're metal inside them, they show up beautifully on X-ray because you can ah. see, you can actually trace out the metal of that. Okay. And, and X-ray we often use for foreign bodies like jewellery. So dogs who swallow rings or necklaces, yes. they show up really well on those as so well. So was it a rubber band? Oh, no, much larger. Much larger. So think thicker. Well, actually, it might help. What are one of your son's hobbies, Cheryl? Okay, my son loves going out on the Barrier Reef and fishing. <gasps> oh, it wasn't, so it wasn't a fish hook? No. Because no. that would come up? Yep. No. Some tackle? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. So when we went to surgery and removed this foreign body, I pulled it out and I went, gee, it's springy, and we sort of cleaned it up. And you could see the beautiful head of what I assume is a, a rainbow trout lure. <laughs> <laughs> Complete with a pink back and lovely little black spots. Yeah. Oh, no. So he was very unwell. Unfortunately, having it removed, everything was good and put on antibiotics. Happy ending. But, Happy you know, ending. this is a thing that made me be aware because it's not the first time one of our animals has done something. A few months back... David had left his um, hearing aids on the bedside table and Avalon had decided right. to have a little chew on that. So it made me be aware that if this is happening to my family, we all need to have this conversation. <laughs> Just what things can go wrong. I mean, obviously there's a list that's, you know, very, very long of things that can be dangerous. But, you know, if you're thinking about just generalising it around the home, you know, you might leave your beer or your alcohol out. Now, that's a real danger for dogs. So just something as simple as a drink that could really upset the dog. Avocados. Now, avocados, you don't sort of think about, you think that's healthy, be really good, but they're really dangerous. And even for birds, Paul, avocados mm -hmm. are quite dangerous, aren't they? That's right, yeah. And the big thing we always think about that is that Avocados have a lovely big seed inside them. Yes. And I've removed many seeds from dogs, uh, avocado seeds, peaches, apricots, macadamias, all of those lovely nuts and, and seeds that dogs like to get into are really commonly uh, affected. Yeah, and I was just saying about the hearing aids. Well, batteries of lots of toys and things oh, and can very be dangerous. very dangerous. Yeah. And the problem is that they start to get... Uh, they leak. They leak into yeah, the stomach. That's yeah, that's right. Um, bones, often people talk about, you know, oh, my dog likes bones, but bones can present as a problem as well. And, look, and we took some bones out of a dog this week. So um, commonly bones um, that are cooked in particular are very hard for dogs to digest and often they'll break those, they'll splinter and then they'll wedge in the intestines. So be very conscious if you are going to give bones to a dog. Make sure the bone is as large as it possibly can be and really remove the bone as they're breaking into it. You don't want to have any of those shards ingested where you can because okay. the idea of the bone really is an enjoyment factor and dental hygiene. Um, but you shouldn't really be giving them so that they can actually eat them. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of dogs are real garbage scavengers as mm -hmm. well. So, you know, when we're baking things like, you know, the strings off your roast and skewers, yeah. they are really skewers dangerous. Are but, you know, some dogs really just sniff out that garbage and in they go. Um, there's a lot of other things that, um, you know, we don't even think about. Onions, garlic, things like that can be really not very healthy for dogs. 
I um, I know feminine hygiene products are also a problem. The, even the liners out of your meat trays, dogs often sniff up those. Oh, of course, they would they smell, smell the meat. Is the problem yes, with those too. And because all, yes. of the nature of the fabric of those, they almost sort of wedge against the intestinal lining. So they're really challenging for them to be passed by an, a normal dog. Yeah. And if you're a sewer, you know, um, having pins and needles and threads and wool and cotton, they can really cause a lot of Particularly problems. Particularly for cats. Cats love playing with strings and thread um, and we often find that what happens is the string will get caught beh- around the tongue they'll actually swallow the needle mm. so when you open the mouth you see the knot of string under the tongue and what happens is that it acts as an anchor the body's trying to pass all the string but it sort of makes it all on the accordion type shape which wedges into the bowel and it cuts through the intestinal lining. They're, they're super dangerous. Yeah. We're always very conscious. If you've had a needle and thread out, please put it straight away, if particularly you have a cat. Yeah, and that's something you just don't think about. You think, oh, I'll just leave that, I'll go and have a cup of coffee or something, come back and the cat's into it. There's lots of other things. You know, there's different... Um, obviously, there's lots of plants that can be an issue to dogs um, and cats, but also seeds, things like you were saying with the stone fruit seeds, mm. Paul, but also pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds, they're also harmful to your dogs. Again, at this time of the year we've got um, lots of spring things happening so making sure when you're out in the garden that your dog isn't getting into you know potting mix and mulch things like that that can be quite toxic and Cheryl if if someone's at home uh, and thinking oh that's okay my my pet doesn't do this you know like for example I might think oh Gizzy doesn't normally chew things I should be fine can they just do it you know, out of the blue. So is it something that we all need to be aware of? Because it might be easy to go, yeah, they're not chewers. Well, I've got, a, I've got a story on that one. So ah. last week, a 14-year-old Staffordshire Bull Terrier, not a foreign-bodied chewer at any stage. When, when the dog came in for vomiting, it was discussed, could it be an option about a foreign body? I never choose anything. Yes. Yep. And we removed an ushi from that dog. Oh, they are getting the dogs going, the ushies. Yeah. Actually, everyone needs to be careful of that because Gizzy doesn't chew anything either and he went and ushie the other day. Yeah, so yeah. ushies are a perfect texture, for A, for dogs to get into as far as excitement, but the most wonderful thing to wedge because they're sticky, they're, they're, they're springy. Um, this is the latest thing for the kids, by the way, that one of the supermarkets has put out. I hate them. I've told the grandparents, don't, don't <laughs> bring them anymore. So, yeah. Alright, yeah, some good so things I, to be aware yeah, so of. Yeah, beware the ushi. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. certainly this dog um, just pick did very up well, things. fortunately. Yeah, just yeah. keep a, a vigil on your pets. That's it. Good advice. Neil Sadaka on 2NURFM. It's 20 to 1. Good afternoon. We're here to answer your questions about your pets. Well, not me. Give it a whirl, but I might get sued. No, you're doing <laughs> pretty Dr. well. Dr Paul McCarthy is here and he is answering questions today. And we're going to go to Robert from Raymond Terrace. Robert, look, we were talking about our pets ingesting things and you've had quite a very sad experience. Yes, I did. I had a uh, Pembroke Corgi dog and he would just start to really hit his straps in the shows it won the group at Tamworth on the June long weekend but didn't realise at the time he'd got in and picked up bones of where he'd cooked and um. put hidden put away from him that he couldn't get them but chewed them up and ingested them and yes it, they killed him 
Yeah. Oh, so I'm sorry to hear that, Robert. And look, and sadly, that's not the first story we've had about ingested bones causing death. There's a couple of often very common things that happen with those. One of the ones that's happened to us recently is a dog presented because the dog had actually had taken too large a bone into his mouth and had wedged behind his esophagus, so he couldn't actually swallow it. It was caught between both his mouth and his stomach, and so oh. the dog was in terrible pain. Um, and sadly, the dog we had previous to that had had the same thing happen, and because of the pressure on the arteries and the nerve, um, the dog passed away because it had suffocated from the stress of having to try and get this thing up. So I'm, I'm always really conscious about the use of bones in, in dogs, and it's quite a controversial thing, even within veterinary science itself, um, because of stories like yours, Robert, where we have lost dogs to, to bones. Cooked bones are generally the ones that are the most large culprit. But just be really conscious if you're going to use a dog for your, uh, sorry, a bone for your dog. It's the right size bone for the right size dog. And thank you for calling us, Robert, because we do hear about it all the time um, that, you know, we should be careful with bones, but we don't often get people calling and saying, look, I'm talking from personal mm. experience. I think it sort of really hits home when we hear someone go, we lost a pet because of this. So, um, yeah, something to be really, really conscious of. 49216216 is our number if you'd like to contribute to the conversation today on Pet Chat. We might have a quick look at our dog of the week. Wow, this this guy's a puppy, but he looks... It's a big puppy. Big, big, mm. big puppy. Oh, he's got such a puppy face. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I always talk like this when I see a puppy, but I can't help it. Um, meet Crusader, the ultimate snuggler, according uh, to the foster carers at the moment. Now, wait for it. He's a male wolfhound cross bulldog cross bull Arab, and he's a huge... 10 week old. No. Oh, wow. How big will he, would he get, Paul? Yeah, look, he'll probably get to at least hip height. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah, wow. he's going to be. So, wolfhounds, by their nature, are quite long, lanky dogs. The interesting thing for this guy, cross with a bulldog, is he'll have the long, lanky body, probably with a fairly wide chest as well. So, wow. he'll, he'll be an impressive dog. He's really beautiful. He's black and white. So, he's got patches of black and um, he's got a big white strip down his face. Go have a look at 2NURFM.com. He's very playful. He loves helping to mop. And by that, we mean he grabs hold and goes for a bit of a ride. <laughs> uh, he's very, very intelligent, even tempered. Uh, and he's just a big snuggler by all accounts. He's very playful as well. He's best suited to a home with a couple of uh, larger breed dogs so he can have a play as well. So is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. best suited to a hunt. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether it was suited or wasn't suited then. Yeah. So, look, if you think you could um, provide a wonderful home for Crusader, then please head to 2 com and have a look. And if you do adopt him, let us know. We always love to hear about the great uh, yeah. adoption yeah. stories as well. Kathy in Madawi, now your dog won't go to the toilet outside. What's the situation here? Oh, no, he'll go. Hello, by the way. Um, he, he will go to the toilet outside, but someone has to be there. Okay. What breed is she, Cathy? Um, it's a male Labrador. Mm-hmm. And how old? Two and a half. Okay. And you've had it since a puppy? Yes. Yeah. So generally this is about the fact that the space outside isn't feeling particularly safe. Um, and when you're... Um, 
when you're going to pass your urine and you're a dog, you're also letting everyone know that you're there. So this is often a, a situation we see in dogs who are feeling that there may be a contested yard or dogs on either side of the fence that may be worrying them. They don't want to do that without there being the soldiers with them at the same time. So this is about gaining confidence and safety in the backyard. Now, one of the best ways to do that is to try and spend as much time as you can in the backyard just doing really normal events so that the, the yard becomes an extension really of your home rather than a separate location completely. Um, and that way the dog will gain confidence that this is just like being inside and I don't need to worry about the fact that the soldiers are with me or not. The, the, the backyard is feeling safe um, and therefore I don't need to have that protection. Another way you can try and do that also is that Labradors are very food motivated um, and so if you lure your dog out with a treat and as soon as you've then had the dog pass urine you then pay that with a reward what will often happen is you can then stand at the door encourage the dog to go out and have the reward ready for when they return so we're using that positive reinforcement and extrinsic motivation to try and achieve a goal for the dog but therefore it isn't really thinking about its safety what it's trying to do is get the task completed so that it can then get that reward but um, your initial issue for, for the dog is that the backyard currently doesn't feel particularly safe Okay, so some, some things there. That. Yeah, so <laughs> have you moved home recently, Kathy, or this is the yard that the dog has always been in? It's a dog, uh, he's always been in the yard, and it's um, like half an acre. And it's all fenced in, and we're out the back quite a lot, actually. Yeah, I Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's about about trying to make make him feel because he, he he's wanting soldiers with him in case. So there could be new sounds that have come. It, it just, could also yeah. be that this is. Uh, it's often the fact that the fear has always been there and grows. Yeah. So the often yeah. the, the when you when you've had a situation where it's it's, it's not that it's a new location and it's the same location, it generally may mean that sometime in the past there's been an incident which has made that not feel particularly comfortable. Okay. Um, and so, therefore, I, I need to have that reassurance. Because when animals are eliminating, what they're, they're actually not able to do very well is focus on their surroundings. Okay, they can't be on high alert during those time periods. Right, right. And so what they're relying on is the rest of the social group are their eyes and ears during that time period so that that they can do their business without having to think about what's around them. It, it is pretty fascinating how animals do this and just a random story when I went and had an experience with the meerkats, there was one little meerkat that was always on lookout and mm. they said that's what they do in the wild. There's always one that will be, it won't come and eat with no. the rest of them. Mm. It, it watches for danger. Yeah, that's for the, danger. the sentinel of the group and that sentinel, sentinel role yes. is shared amongst the group. So I thought that was So someone's always on, on duty doing that and meerkats are amazing because because they have such good hearing and, and they're, they're looking for those and they can notice shadows as well because oh. one of their main predators are hawks and eagles they're looking to the sky right. and so if, if you're ever at sort of stronger zoo or um, out at the hunter valley when a plane goes over you watch those guys dart for the ground because they're they're seeing that shadow, shadow pass over and they're ex expecting it to be hawk or eagle and they'll all dive into their tunnels oh, I love they're super cats. clever they're just the best they're so cool could talk about them all day well, well, actually, my sister gave my partner and I a, a, 
um, meerkat experience at the Hunter yeah. Valley Zoo, and it was so wonderful. Mm. It's yeah, it's a lot. Any experience that you do like that is just a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> now we are chatting uh, about ingesting things. That, that's our conversation today, and our pets ingesting objects that they uh, shouldn't. Yes. You see quite a bit of this, Paul. Yeah. So what I thought I might go through is some of the steps to do if you got that as an option. Now. Step number one is at the, the moment you have noticed the dog swallows something you don't think will pass. So you mentioned before things like elastic bands. But it also goes for headbands, So this scrunchies. is if you're pretty sure that they've... you've seen the yep. dog ingest. Okay, right. Don't wait for it to pass. Right. Okay. Head to your vet. We can give an injection of a drug with apomorphine, which will, within seconds, make that dog bring up what's in its stomach. Oh, okay. So... The best way to prevent an obstruction is to get your dog to vomit right from the get-go. How quickly do you have to get them there for this injection to work? Yeah, so ideally what you want to do is have it before it leaves the stomach. Now, yeah. the idea was within a couple of hours would okay. be great. Yep. The sooner the better. Now, what we'll often do in our practice is that even if in doubt will try and give them the injection. Yeah. Yep. That sometimes larger objects can stay in the stomach for days and days before moving. Okay. Okay, so there's always the benefit. The esophagus is wider than the duodenum. So what comes into the stomach is a wider diameter than what leaves the stomach. Right. So it's much better to try and get that out. Now, there are some objects that you don't make them vomit for. Oh, okay. okay. Which are generally things that are chemicals. You don't make a dog vomit a chemical back up because it will burn the esophagus. Sure. But for most of the usual things that dogs try and swallow, like socks and underwear and things that have a strong smell to them, they're best dealt with by trying to get them to vomit first. So okay. I always Path tell of clients, least resistance. Exactly. It, and, and generally the injection wears off within 30 minutes. The problem is resolved. We go home happy. Okay. So now if we have missed that, signs to watch for will generally be I'm keen to eat, but I vomit immediately afterwards. Okay. Right. So right. often these guys aren't sick first up. What's happening is it's formed an obstruction. The food can't move past it, but the, the, they're actually not feeling very unwell. So if you've got a dog that after each meal within half an hour or so is vomiting and it doesn't, you know, that's not part of its normal routine, think obstruction. Okay. It can often take day two or three or four and beyond before the dogs will become unwell from that. Right. So often we're missing those cases. The advantage of investigating a foreign body condition earlier is that the longer it sits in the intestine, the more damage it's doing to that intestinal loop. And what you can often just do is remove it via an incision over the surface of the oh, in the intestine. So it's not a full-on surgery type of thing. You, you don't have to actually cut ends. Okay. If it's been there too long, that bit of intestine will die, and you then have to attach two ends together oh, like hoses. More complex. Much yeah. more complex. Mm. Much more risk of complications. So sooner intervention is always better. Um, the other sign to look for, as well as that, very quickly, is that if you haven't seen your dog pass anything for a day or two. Okay, so that can also be an indicator. Normally, it'll also go off their food at the same time. So right. by day three or four, it's starting to hurt. So that appetite they had before is starting to drop. They may vomit water as well. And there are the sorts of things that can often be an indicator that there's a foreign body that may need an intervention. So, Paul, when someone comes in and says, look, you know, my dog's, um, you know, vomiting after eating, mm. it possibly has ingested something um, that it shouldn't, what, what's the first step that you will do? Yeah, so we generally in those circumstances try and get the dog to vomit. 
Because uh, okay. it, it, it even, can save you the cost of x-rays yep. and ultrasounds and investigation. If you can get that out quickly, then that's that's half your battle. There's no Sorry. surgery and, and after that, if that after isn't that, effective... We do x-rays, x-rays. and ultrasounds. Okay. Yeah. So metal objects will show up beautifully. Um, things like rocks and bone will show up beautifully on x-ray. Um, soft objects like fishing yeah. lures are uh, often more likely to need an ultrasound to identify. Right. So I'm guessing when the cat went in, Vincent? No. Stephen. Stephen, sorry. Stephen, sorry, Stephen. <laughs> um, that it couldn't vomit up the the object, and it that's, had wedged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And, and it had been in there for a few weeks at that time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, let's go to the phones now. We've got Sandra from Rutherford. You've got two dogs, and is it a question about what they're eating, Sandra? Yeah. Um, if I'm sitting there eating twisty, um, what are those other things? Uh, Cheezels, anything like that, they've got to have them. They sit there licking their lips and looking at me much and say, come on, Mum, give me some. Are they all right to give them? Yeah, look, to be, to be honest, Sandra, there's, there's two things I probably have to say on that one is um, the answer is probably no. So it's not because they're going to be poisoned by the, the twisties and the cheezels and those sorts of things. Um, two, two things. One is that each time we give in to our dog begging, <laughs> we have asked it to beg again. And so what you then have is a dog who is constantly going to sit by you whenever you have food, which becomes a bit uh, annoying. So don't, if you're going to give a dog anything that you have yourself, place it in the dog's bowl um, at an appropriate time so that they know that the food coming to them is always given in the bowl at dinner time. Um, if you do want to give those sorts of treats, that's the way to do it. But, but ideally, snack foods are more fattening for their dogs than they are for us. So um, if you can avoid doing that, do so. I think what you might do is have your twisties in another room. I'm impressed Sandra is even contemplating sharing the twisties. <laughs> <laughs> never enough in those packets. Look, thank you for the call. Thank you for everyone who phoned in today. That is it for us today for Pet Chat. It's gone quickly as it always does. If yes. you didn't get your questions out, we will be back next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.